Hi, welcome back to another episode of Random History, and if you're American, you probably know that today is Martin Luther King Day. And to celebrate this holiday, today's episode is going to be on freedom songs. It's no secret that African Americans have vastly shifted and shaped the history of music, from genres like blues and jazz, spanning from the 1890s to the rap and pop of our time. As you can see, music has always been a crucial part of African American history, and during the Civil Rights era, it played an especially important role. Martin Luther King Jr. said that songs were, quote, the soul of the movement, end quote, and that songs gave people strength and created unity. In his 1964 book, Why We Can't Wait, he explained that activists, quote, sing freedom songs today for the same reason the slaves sung them, because we too are in bondage, and the songs add hope to our determination that we shall overcome, black, white, together, we shall overcome someday, end quote. Now, you guys may be wondering, what are freedom songs? Where did these songs come from, and why were they so important to the civil rights movement? Originally coming from old Christian hymns and gospel songs, these songs were rewarded to reflect on the civil rights movement. Their simple, direct, and repetitive choruses made it easy for people to spread the message. Eventually, these songs broadened out with new songs being created in different genres. Altered rock songs were turned into freedom songs to accommodate those of different religions so they could join in on the singing. Songs were usually started by a song leader, whom others would join to sing together, since the power of many is stronger than that of one. They were sung for many reasons, from motivation through long marches, to strength against brutality, to doing so just for the sake of passing time. Songs were used for expression in a non-violent way. There were happy songs, there were sad songs for when someone was killed, there were party songs and humorous and mocking ones. Singing was especially important to freedom riders, black and white activists who rode Greyhound buses around the South in 1961 to protest segregated bus terminals. While on these buses, these folks would sing old songs and create new stanzas. Even when these activists were arrested and the guards threatened them with solidary confinement, they still sung. At night in the prison, the men and women would sing across the jailhouse to communicate with each other that they were alright. Eventually, the guards would get so sick of their singing that they would take the activists' mattresses, and to that, they sang, You can take our mattresses, oh yeah. You can take our mattresses, oh yeah and even began piling their mattresses at the doorway. No joke. By far, the most famous of these songs is We Shall Overcome. Originally, this song was a field song sung by slaves called I'll Be Alright Someday, and eventually it spread to the churches. Later on, Methodist minister Charles Albert Tinley penned and published this song in 1901, titled, I'll Overcome Someday. Then, in 1945, during a strike against the American Tobacco Company in Charleston, South Carolina, due to wages, 45 cents an hour, workers decided to march and sing the line, 
we will overcome and win our rights someday. Eventually, in 1947, this song made its way up to Montegal, Tennessee after two tobacco workers attended a workshop at Highlander Folk Center, a place where blacks and whites came together to discuss labor issues. Highlander's music director, Zofa Horton, began using it in workshops, stating, quote, This song, this is the song, <coughs> sorry, this is the song of We Will Overcome. It is spiritual. I sang it with many different nationality groups. And it's so simple. The idea is so sincere that it doesn't matter that it came from tobacco workers. When I sing it to people, it becomes their song. End quote. Later that year, Horton would travel to New York City to raise money for Highlander. There she met Pete Seeger, who'd publish We Shall Overcome in the People's Songs Bulletin. He made several changes to the lyrics, including turning will to shall. Seeger would perform concerts to raise money for civil rights foundations. In the early 1950s, Guy Carawan, a UCLA finishing graduate, picked up the song from a friend of his, Frank Hamilton. After Horton died, Highlander needed a new music director, so Carawan signed up. In the following weeks, Carwan met with other student leaders who told Carwan to ditch the guitar and put the song to a rhythm to sing with their own voices. In 1962, the Freedom Singers were formed by the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee in Albany, Georgia. This quartet consisted of Cordell Regan, Charles Nebelt, Rutha Harris, and Bernice Johnson Regan. The Freedom Singers drew support for the civil rights movement. They even sung at the March on Washington in 1963. They also performed We Shall Overcome for a live album at that year's Newport Folk Festival with Bob Dylan, Joanne Bays, and Peter, Paul, and Mary. Finally, on March 15, 1965, in a speech addressing voting legislation, President Lyndon B. Johnson made this statement to Congress and to the 70 million Americans watching. It is the effort of American Negroes to secure for themselves the full blessings of American life. Their cause must be our cause too, because it is not just Negroes, but really it's all of us who must overcome the crippling legacy of bigotry and injustice, and we shall overcome. In conclusion, if you look at the history of peaceful activism from back when I made the episode on the singing revolution to this one on the civil rights movement, singing is almost always a crucial role in it. And even if it may not seem so, voices are always more powerful than violence. While researching freedom singing, I came across a story that involved a girl named Jamila Jones. While she was at Highlander in 1958, the police raided the place and cut off the electricity. Yet, through the darkness, she sang, We Shall Overcome, adding the verse, We Are Not Afraid to It. The people began singing together, and they sung louder and louder until they were approached by a shaking police officer who asked them to sing not so loud. These unarmed people, through their unified voices, managed to frighten an armed police officer, the person who supposedly held the power in this situation. That's all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Bye! 